32 years ago, I was standing on a stage similar to this one. I was at Ed White Middle School in San Antonio, right here in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, out in the audience were, were classmates, uh, students from all over the school and parents. Everybody was kind of gathered. And on the stage to the left and the right of me were students who had passed the qualifying rounds in their classrooms to make it to this moment, which was the annual school-wide spelling bee. That's right. So I was at the spelling bee and I was a little bit nervous, but I'd made it through a few rounds that morning and I had time in between each word to reflect on all of the, all the effort that I'd expended in order to get to that place. In fact, I had spent hours in front of that uh, spelling bee uh, guidebook, right? You know, where I, I'd go and recount all the words. In fact, I made flashcards even, right? So I made flashcards and would paste around in my room and I would just say the words over and over again and spell them, you know? And, and I, I, I was for sure going to win. I was a little bit obsessed about the whole thing. And my parents, my parents, you know, they were a little bit, I'm sure they were like, oh goodness, I can't wait for this thing to be over with because I was a little bit obsessed. I had a vision, a vision not just to win the school spelling bee, not just to win regionals or, or anything beyond that. But no, I had a vision to go straight to the top. I was going to go to the National Scripts Spelling Bee. That was what was going to happen. I was going to be a champion. So my turn was next, right? So the moderator looks at me and he says, spell the word potatoes. I wondered, did I, did I hear him right? Spell the word potatoes. I, I, was, I, I wasn't sure. And so in my, my sixth grade cracking voice, I asked the moderator, would you... Please use the word in a sentence. <laughs> the moderator had to be thinking, come on, man, it's not that difficult of a word. But he did. Thankfully, he used the word in a sentence. I still didn't get it. I wasn't sure. I was like, my palms got sweaty. And I wondered, did I hear the teacher right? You know, I mean, and then I'm, you know, the lights, they're starting to get bright. And I'm starting to hear this ringing in my ear. And I'm like, I'm running out of time. I've got to start spelling this word. And it's not that difficult. The self-talk at that point wasn't very encouraging. Come on, Matt, get your act together. So I started with what I was confident with, right? Potato, P-O-T-A-T-O. I knew that much. What I wasn't sure was like, do you add an E-S to the back end of that thing? Or do you just tack an S on the back end of the O and call it a day? Well, I opted for the latter. And as the dictionary would have it, I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. And then I heard the ding of the bell. You know, if you're in a spelling bee, you don't want to hear the, the ding because that means you spelled it wrong. And I, I spelled it wrong and I, I felt the sting of defeat and, and disappointment. It was, it was horrible. So I shuffled out of the line and out of the auditorium that day. My relationship with potatoes has never been the same. <laughs> I hate them all, French fries and scalloped. I don't care how they come, I hate them. I don't know, but defeat, it can leave you feeling in the dumps, right? It can leave you feeling a little bit blah on the inside, but you can learn a lot about victory from your defeats. And what I learned that day was that victory is proportionate to intimacy. Victory is proportionate to intimacy. And in that case, I just didn't know my words like I thought I did. I didn't know them. I thought I knew them and I, I didn't know my words. 
It occurs to me, maybe you're feeling a little defeated today. That certainly seems to be the general mood in our nation right now. I mean, turn on the news and you're met with articles on pandemics and, you know, is the government going to open or shut down this or that? Uh, you know, do I need to wear a mask or is it, is it good to wear a mask or bad to wear a mask? And not really sure who to believe because this article says this and this article says that. And I mean, it could be a real confusing time. And then on top of it, we've got racial divides and we have economic roller coasters all over the place, right? What is going to happen with my, my finances? What is happening in our world? What is happening in our country? Many have confessed that they're struggling with a lack of identity in the middle of this season. And others have said, hey, look, I, I wake up in the morning just like every other day, but yet I find that in the middle of it, I just don't have any energy. I don't have the energy that I used to have. And I don't really know why. I can't really put my finger on it. But man, I just feel kind of defeated. How many of you know we need a little bit of victory? We need a little bit of victory in the camp today. And so ironically, we're going to get some victory. We're going to get some victory in one of the most spiritually dark cities in the ancient Roman Empire. In fact, we're going straight into the heart of Ephesus. And we're going to get some victory today. You know, Ephesus was a beautiful city. Its seas and its rivers were full of fish and it was said that its air was, was life-giving. It was life-giving and its population was at the same time diverse and immense. I mean, it was just a huge population. In fact, one commentator made the statement. He said, hey, look, Ephesus, it was the vanity fair of all of Asia. It was big time. But in the middle of all that beauty, we have this, this darkness in fact, the, the center of life in Ephesus revolved around the temple, the temple which was dedicated to the worship of the god Artemis. And the economy of all of Ephesus was tied to its religion. There was this intimate relationship between the two. You see, the people, their trades, a lot of them was making idols to the god Artemis. And so they would make and fashion idols and you know, wood and clay and, and stone and silver and all the, all the such. And they would make these idols and they would sell them to the people. And so how many of you know they had a lot to gain by keeping things status quo? And when someone comes into the city and starts talking about this other God, starts talking about Jesus Christ, you can imagine it was met with severe opposition. And so it's interesting today that we would find such victory in this level of opposition and this level of darkness. And yet we find that in the middle of this darkness, it set the perfect table for the work of God to expand and to gain even more influence in the city. In fact, Acts chapter 19 and verse 20 is where we're gonna get our primary inspiration from today. Acts 19 and verse 20 says, so, I love that word, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, grew mightily and prevailed. You know, we shouldn't be surprised that the word of, the word of God would, would grow and that it would advance. I mean, it was prophesied that that would be the case. In Isaiah chapter nine and verse seven, if you go all the way back to Isaiah nine, seven to a verse that's very familiar to us in Christmas time, it was prophesied that of the increase of his government and his peace, there would be what? There'd be no end. 
there'd be no end. So it, it really is just like the gospel, which means, by the way, good news. It really is just like the gospel to expand and move into an area. It's just like the gospel to renovate a region. So we see the word of God prevailing. There was great victory in the city. Well, today we're gonna look at Acts chapter 19. So if you brought your Bibles, I wanna encourage you to open that up. In just a moment, we're gonna start. The verse we're gonna start with is verse five. So if you wanna put your finger there and kind of get ready, it'd be great. I'm gonna go ahead and give us a little bit of backstory. The apostle Paul walks into the city of Ephesus and as he's walking through the city, he finds these disciples that were grouped together. He sits down with them. He spends some time with them. He asks them if they had heard about Jesus Christ. It turns out they were, they were disciples of John the Baptist and they'd only been baptized into that baptism of repentance. And they had yet to have a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so after Paul spends some time with them and he, he teaches them about Jesus, he gets the opportunity and the great privilege to lead them, each of them, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll learn from our story that the Lord does indeed come into their heart. The Holy Spirit comes in, transforms them from the inside out. It's a beautiful picture. We're gonna pick up in verse five today. I hope you read along with me. We're gonna read a significant amount of scripture here today, about 15 verses. We gotta lay a really strong foundation. We're gonna draw our observations from what we're reading in this text. Really, they're gonna be more like proclamations. We're gonna, procl we're gonna proclaim the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ in this house. So, starting in verse five. And it happened, oh, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for how many years? Two years. That's right. You guys following along? You're quiet out there. All right. This continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, God, right? It wasn't Paul, but it was God who worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, they took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, hey, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Not a great day. This became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed, they came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic, they brought their books together and they, they burned them in the sight of them all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And then we get to that key verse for us today. So 
So in conclusion, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Jesus was gaining traction in the hearts of the people, wasn't he? The kingdom of God was advancing. So whether it's in ancient Ephesus, and we're looking deep into this text to understand what God was doing in Ephesus, or whether it's right here in San Antonio, Texas, you need to know that Jesus has all the victory. Jesus has all the victory. So, okay, we're gonna adopt this victory for our own lives today. We're gonna look at three specific areas where we witness Jesus' victory in the city of Ephesus. And the first of which is we see that Jesus has victory in their appetites. Jesus has all the victory in their appetites. When Paul comes into contact with those disciples, they had no knowledge of Jesus Christ. But upon their conversion, things in their lives begin to change dramatically. They start to join up with the Apostle Paul in the synagogue and they reason with the Apostle Paul on a daily basis. There's this truth of scripture that begins to take root into their heart. They see things differently. They're activated in a new kind of fire. Suddenly these disciples are all about teaching and training and learning and growing in the things of God. When they're kicked out of the synagogue, they would not be pushed back. They rented a hall in the school of Tyrannus. For two years, they gathered together and who knows how many from the community came out and were educated about the things of Christ. It was so much so that all of Asia heard the word. So it must have been a powerful demonstration of what happens when God comes in and transforms the human heart. You know, we read about these miracles that took place, right? Jesus Christ comes on the scene, these miracles that he worked through the apostle Paul, handkerchiefs taken and such, diseases healed, demons cast out, people were blind and now all of a sudden they see. There was a lot of miracles that took place but I offer to you this morning that I think that one of the greatest miracles that we see happening right here happened among the disciples and those that were coming together to gather in the community to learn and to grow. One of the greatest miracles, the most significant miracle is the drawing of the human heart to grow in God's word. It is nothing short of a miracle when God expands our hearts to learn and to love him like we never have before. That is one of the greatest miracles of all. When God expands our hearts to love him and to know him, it's, it's like what we see with the prophet Jeremiah in the book of his name in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse nine, when he makes the statement, but his word, it was, it was in my heart like a, like a burning fire. It was like shut up inside of my bones. In fact, I couldn't even hold it back. I had to open my mouth because his word had so taken over my heart, his appetites had changed. We can't ignore the principal actor or the principal you know, person on the scene here in the book of Acts chapter 19. It's, it is the apostle Paul. And Jesus is using this apostle. And we know because we've all been studying the book of Acts together that it was just a few chapters back when the apostle Paul was, <laughs> he had a very different mission. He's going from house to house. He's pulling people out. He's putting them into prison. He even consented unto Stephen's death. He was not about the things of Jesus. And yet here we see him, the apostle, at the height of his ministry, the pinnacle of his ministry in Ephesus. And he's, he's traveled so many hundreds and hundreds of miles by foot and by horseback and, and by ship. 
all to make it to this place in Ephesus where he can talk to them about Jesus. You talk about a transformation of the human heart, an expansion of the human heart, a change in his appetite. So we see it happening here that disciples have a change in their appetite. So much so that they can't stop meeting together. All of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I don't know, what, what did they talk about when they got together? They talk about planting more churches. They talk about the love of God. They talk about Jesus, the grace of God, the power of God. I don't know. But for two years, they were gathered together. Their hunger for the Lord was expanding and growing. You may have heard about the master apologist, author, and speaker, Ravi Zacharias. He recently lost his battle with cancer. In his memoirs, he writes, I was reading recently in his book, From East to West, God in the Shadows. And in that book, he, he recounts a time in his life where he was at his lowest. He was at a crossroads. All of his siblings were doing great in school. And, you know, he's constantly living in the shadow of his siblings. And uh, he recounts in the story that he just didn't care about school. Dropped out of school. He became the shame of his family, his dad would tell him. You are an embarrassment to our family, Ravi. So Ravi one day made the decision to end his life. He shut himself into the bathroom in his house and he attempted to commit suicide when somebody that was in the house heard him fall to the ground. They smashed their way into the bathroom and they took him to the hospital. The two days after receiving hospital care, he awoke from a type of coma to see his mother sitting at the foot of his bed and reading scripture to him. She was reading to him, John chapter 20 and verse 31. You may be familiar with the passage. You see, John had written the whole book, his book by his name to recount all the claims of Christ, to recount all the things that Jesus had done. But at the end of the book, he says very clearly in John chapter 20 and verse 31, he says, hey, all of these things have been written so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and the Messiah and that by believing you might have life in his name, that you might have life in his name. When she said those words, they leapt off the page and into his ears and he knew instantly, I, I have to know this kind of life because all I've known is death up to this point. And so his memoirs recount that right then and there, he gives his heart to the Lord. And he, he shares in his memoirs, he says, I can't explain it. He says, I was the worst student. I hadn't read a book in my life. I hated reading. But when the love of God came into my heart, it expanded my heart. And I, I just wanted to know him more. I wanted to know him like I'd never known him before. He was different than anything I'd ever heard of. And I had this love inside of my heart and I had to know him. And so he devoured everything that he came into contact with. He devoured books. He became an excellent student, all because his appetites were transformed. And that's what happens when Jesus has the victory over your appetites. The, the things that used to hold power and authority of your life no longer have the same level of authority. Jesus had the victory over their appetites, but Jesus also had the victory over their adversaries, their enemies, right? 
How many of you know the spiritual realm is real? It is real. We are all at once. We are mind, we are body, and we are spirit. You know, and it, we can't come to faith. You know, it's, it's told that we have to come to faith in Christ. We can't come to faith again or be born again in the flesh. No, we're born again of the, we're born again of the spirit, right? It's this, through the spirit that we have new life. And so in our current climate, it would certainly be, it would be a mistake for us to put a label on our enemy or our adversary, wouldn't it? It would be, it'd be a mistake for us to, to say that the enemy was maybe the current fad or the enemy was maybe a, a current movement that we see happening across the nation or maybe the enemy is a political leaning or maybe the enemy is your next door neighbor and they just can't get their act together. Maybe that is in fact the enemy. No, we can't do that. That would be similar to the mistake that we see the sons of Sceva making here in this chapter when they came across the demoniacs, when they came across those that were oppressed and they attempted to turn the victory of Jesus Christ into a formula, into a tool that they would fashion after their own making and they would go up to people and they would say, hey, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, this guy over here be set free. It's after the same manner they would make the same mistake. We can't make that same mistake. It's interesting, though, that, you know, it was actually in the city of Ephesus when the Apostle Paul, he writes this scripture. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness. So he writes this in an effort to kind of help everyone to understand in the city of Ephesus, including the sons of Sceva, Right? that the authority over spiritual darkness can only be met with the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. It can only be met by those in Colossians 2.15. It says, hey, by the one who disarmed principalities and powers, by the one who made a public spectacle of all of them on the cross. That's where the true authority lies. But I, I don't want to give the sons of Sceva too difficult of a time because certainly... I appreciate, we can appreciate as believers that they at least recognize that victory could be achieved and accomplished through the power of Jesus. But they were missing a key because spiritual victory is proportionate to intimacy. Spiritual victory is proportionate to intimacy. It's not about works. You can't earn God's love. You can't earn God's authority. You can't control or manipulate God's love. You just simply can't. Because here's the news. 1 John 5, verses 4 through 5 makes it clear that whatever is born of God, whatever is born of God, that is what, in fact, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But that's the good news, because if you have, in fact, been born of God, if you have Jesus Christ into your life, then the victory is in 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Spiritual victory is proportionate to intimacy. Jesus has the victory. So whether it's the, the city of Ephesus or, or whether it's into your life or your circumstances, you need to know today that there is no darkness that he cannot overcome in your life. The reality is that prodigals do come home. Some of you need to hold on to that today. So, some of you need to know that marriages can be restored. 
Some of you know, need to know that addictions, they, they can be broken. Some of you need to know today that dreams can find resurrection life. They can. He cares about your dreams. You guys are quiet. All right. So find that Jesus has victory in their appetites. Jesus has victory over their adversaries, right? He's made a public spectacle of them. He triumphed over them on the cross. But he also had victory in their alliances. He had victory in their alliances. We see here that God's word begins to move into the city. The people witness the power of God. They witness the power of God to transform the human heart. So the things that they used to depend on, their alliances began to be exposed for what they were. Their books of magic, their reliance upon the dark things in order to make it in their life or to make it even financially or to make it an advance in their, their lives spiritually, they began to realize this is, this is a fraud. And they begin to realize that the answer is found in Jesus Christ. That's where the victory is. In Acts chapter 19, we read, we read already, but hey, many of those who had believed, that's very key there. That means these people were in the church. These were believers who were trying to do a balancing act in their, in their walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we got my magic books on this side and we got Jesus on the other side and we'll just kind of see who, who meets the need in that particular moment. No, there was, there was a balancing act until the Holy Spirit moved on their heart and they, they realized that this is, this is fraud, what I've been believing on, what I've been banking on. I'm no longer gonna bank on this. And scripture says they brought all the magic books and they burned and they threw them into the fire. You need to know books were expensive back then. If you had a book, you were a rich person. If you have a book today, you're a rich person, right? Books are valuable. Books are valuable. But they brought these books, these false prophets, magicians, sorcerers, whatever, and they, they threw them into the fire. How many of you know there was victory in the fire that day? Now, victory looked a little bit more like surrender when you give everything up. But there was great victory in that. You put a dollar amount on that victory, right? 50,000 pieces of silver. You know what that translates into? A year's wage for over 200 men. One year's wage for over 200 men. There was victory in that fire. I mean, the word of God was taking root. I mean, he was, he was moving into their lives and, and his authority was growing and the Holy Spirit was, was pushing out the darkness, the Holy Spirit was pushing out even the old alliances, all the things that they'd given their hearts to over the years, you know, and that's the beauty and that's such the, that's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is that when we, we give our hearts to Jesus, he just, he just comes in and he fills you and the burden and the cares of this world fall away and the Holy Spirit comes in and he puts pressure on your heart and the things that you're, you're tempted to hold on to, he puts pressure in that area. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. He puts pressure on those things. He asks us to surrender them to him. I had a power problem a couple of months ago. I had a power problem in my house. The electricity wasn't working. The electricity stopped working and I had no lights in my breakfast nook. And that's, that was a problem because that's where my family, we ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
And so it was a big deal. And, and the light on my back porch wasn't working. And several of the outlets on the back half of my house weren't working either. And, and, uh, and so I was frustrated. Called the electric companies. And I said, look, guys, I got a problem. Explained it to them. And they, you know what they told me? They said, this isn't an emergency. We can't come out right now because of COVID. I said, well, it's an emergency to me. They said, no, it isn't. I said, okay. And so, you know, when like your light bulb doesn't work and you keep trying to get it to work and it doesn't matter how many times you flick that switch, it's not gonna come on. So for two to three weeks, I did that. You know, I'd, I'd go to the back porch light, try to turn it on, you know, let my dog in or whatever. Or I'd go to the, the, the breakfast area, kind of turn the light on, try to eat, you know, lunch or dinner with my family. And then we'd, oh, the lights don't work. So, but after about two or three weeks of that, I began to grow a little bit more comfortable with it, right? I no longer went to those areas to turn on the lights because I knew it was dark. It wasn't going to work. So I stopped going to those areas. I got extension cords, right? Some of the other outlets to kind of help me out in some of those other areas. I got used to the ones that weren't working. I got used to the areas that I, I wouldn't come around anymore because it was dark. Couldn't get it to work. Well, then I found out one of my buddies here at the church was an electrician, Nathan Tibbet. So I called Nathan up. I said, Nathan, would you come over to my house? Would you help me with my problem? He said, sure, I'll be right over. He comes over. Two and a half hours later, we figure out what the problem was. But he was here. He was taking off faceplates, all these switches. And we were reverse engineering stuff and pulling off the... Uh, uh, we were, we weren't, we weren't doing anything. I was just, I was just looking at him, but... But he's pulling off outlets and he's going to the breakers and he's measuring the electricity going through the breakers and, and everything seems to be working fine. But yet we still can't figure out what is the issue? Why isn't the power flowing to the rest of the house? And so we go up into the attic and we're, we're tossing up an insulation to find all the wires. And, and we're looking for this thing called home row, you know, where it's the, the, all the wires banded together, you know, and it kind of helps us to understand and maybe trace back the issue. And we did all of that. And after two and a half hours of searching, we found the problem. You're not going to believe this. It boiled down to one small 98 cent part. This outlet. This outlet was the offender. How many of you know I'm glad that it was only a 98 cent part? Come on, somebody. Come on. So frustrated. It's not an emergency. I'm not going to come out. Now, so for two months, I have no power in my house, but I get this 98 cent outlet and he fixes it. And, and now I've got power. I've got lights where I didn't have light before. And, and, and now I can, you know, visibly come into the light. And we laughed about that. Nathan and I did that day. I pulled away from that. And the Lord just kind of checked my heart a little bit. He said, you know what? That's a lot like spiritual life as well. He said, you know, and it doesn't take a lot of imagination for us to draw that distinction. But a lot of times we can get really comfortable with the dark, can't we? The Holy Spirit comes into your heart. He's puts pressure. He's expanding your heart to love him and to know him more. To have a hunger and a heart for the scripture. To be around those that are hungry for the things of God. And then he, he shines a light on your heart. He's such a gentleman. He loves you so deeply, but he begins to put pressure into areas of your life and you begin to justify, you know, we're really good at that. We begin to justify why we're holding on to that, why that thing is there in the first place. And I, 
I need that. You know, kind of like the church did back in Ephesus. They held on to that thing, that alliance. They held on to it and they they just want, just in case, you know, that kind of a thing. And so they continued to justify and justify and justify until they grew very comfortable. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit didn't have as much authority over that area anymore. They grew comfortable in the dark. Have you grown comfortable in the dark? Have you grown comfortable with old alliances and old devotions? Because the Holy Spirit has shined his light on it. He wants you so desperately to grab those things and to put them into the fire and to surrender them to him. But you gotta listen. You gotta listen to the Holy Spirit. He's a master electrician. And he can come in and he can expose that thing for what it is. It's a ridiculous fraud. Just a stupid piece of, it's nothing, right? It's nothing to him because he's made a spectacle over it. Triumph over all of it, the cross of Jesus Christ. So I wonder today, how are your appetites? Are you defeating the enemy in your life? How about those alliances?